Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. As the president of the board, I can pass laws and things of that nature, but implementation, all of those things reside in the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm running to become mayor of the city of St. Louis, is because I understand how to operate that branch and uh, and what the powers are that are vested in it, right, and how we can actually move the city forward. What to you is the best thing about St. Louis? Uh, it's it's people and it's uh, infrastructure. It, it, it is a, just a culture in St. Louis. is a great culture. Uh, and um, uh, the, the people in St. Louis are, are great. I mean, they're great people. And, and our biggest asset is where we are right now on the river. That's the thing that made us the largest city in America at one time. And we need to capitalize on that through more trade opportunities. And what do you see as the worst thing about St. Louis? Uh, the division. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Lewis Reed is one of four candidates for St. Louis mayor in the March 2nd primary, and he likely needs less introduction than the others. Reed has been president of the Board of Aldermen since 2007. He's also previously run for mayor twice. But this year is a whole new ballgame, and joining us today to talk about his vision and the race he's running is Aldermanic President Lewis Reed. President Reed, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate it and looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. So, President Reed, you've done this twice before. Does this year feel different for you? Oh, it absolutely feels different. Uh, Well, first off, you know, because of COVID, this is a totally different campaign uh, mm-hmm. season than I've ever seen before. But it feels different, right? You have, uh, you know, different candidates, uh, some of the same candidates from the previous election. But, you know, the field has thinned out quite a bit. Uh, there's more definition between candidates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm really excited and enthused about uh, this election and looking forward to uh, being successful in uh, March and being successful in April. But uh, there's a long way between now and those dates, even though yeah. you know, it's, it's relatively close, but still there's a lot of ground to cover across that time. Yeah, as you say, those dates are coming so close, but I get the sense people are only now starting to pay attention to this race. Prior to this point, we were all kind of consumed with national politics. Now that um, you know people are starting to care about this, as you said, the pandemic is still raging. Are you able to go door to door or talk to people one-on-one, or are you trying to do it all remotely? Oh, we're doing a little bit of all that. We're we're hitting the doors. We're talking to people door to door. We maintain our distance. Sure. Uh, we we assure that we we're wearing masks and we you know hand sanitizer and things of that nature. So we're taking all the precautions, uh, and which is which is uh, good because it allows us to still you know engage some of the, in some of those traditional campaigning uh, things. But we're also working the phones also. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting an opportunity to talk to voters every single night of the week. Uh, probably some of the people that are listening in, I've had 
you know, a long conversation with them. So you know, I'll be calling voters tonight. So. <laughs> wow. Well, that's, a, you know, yeah. that's dedication right there. Um, yeah. So, look, I mean, you ran four years ago, Mayor Mayor Cruson won. What, would, uh, what is one thing you would point to in the last four years that she's gotten right? Well, I think, you know, unlike a lot of people, I think that the mayor has gotten a lot of things right, right? Uh, it, you know, when you've been in public office, you see that some of the things that you do aren't covered in traditional press, right? Sure. Uh, and, you know, a lot of things that you do and you do well, uh, well, that average person doesn't know about it. So the mayor has done a lot of great things. You know, you look at cops and clinicians, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the things people have talked about for years. Well, she got it done. I worked with her to get it done, so I was really excited when she brought forth that plan. She got the tiny homes uh, project put together for, the, for you know, uh, providing shelter for some uh, homeless population, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, numerous other things. So, you know, but unlike other elected officials, uh, when she got into office, she had absolutely no honeymoon from the media. Uh, they started attacking her almost immediately. But then on top of that, you had, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, massive protests around the country uh, mm-hmm. over and over again, uh, you know, based on things that were happening, uh, not just in St. Louis, but, you know, in other places across the country. And she had to try to manage to all of that, uh, which is a very difficult task. Yeah. In what ways do you think the media was unfair in those early days of her administration? Is there something that stands out to you as a particular thing they didn't give her credit for or something they, they blamed her for that wasn't her fault? And, and I'm not going to single out any uh, particular media op, you know, operation, sure. but I could say this. Uh, in other administrations, if things happen good within that administration, they would say, like, mayor so-and-so, uh, the mayor so-and-so's program to do whatever. And if something happened bad within that administration, they'd say a city department. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they discussed Mayor Cruson, they would say, uh, if it was bad, Mayor Lila Cruson. <laughs> right. And if it was good, then they phrased it in different it's small things like that uh, that lead to bigger you know, the uh, bigger, you know, much larger notions of the way people think that administration is going. Hmm. So, you know, she, she did not get fair treatment from the press, uh, you know, and uh, is, uh, you know, it, and um, uh, why, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, you know, I know myself, I've dealt with those same types of things as an elected official, uh, which is why it was easy for me to see when when the same things were happening. You feel and, like you've gotten unfair treatment from the local press as well. Well, it's it's been mixed, but uh, but uh, you know it hasn't always it hasn't always been accurate, mm-hmm. right? It's been a lot of editorializing, right? But you know, but that's part of it. That you know, I don't lose a lot of sleep over that because that's part of it. If you're going to be in public life, you have to expect that. Yeah, so, you're you're in so, the arena for sure. But but so look, I mean, the, that's exactly right. You're in the arena, so it, it's just part and parcel to it. But uh, but uh, you know, you know, it, it is what it is with that. Well, so let's let's give you a chance to play newspaper publisher here. Say that you're writing the Lewis Reed story. What do you think has been your biggest accomplishment in in your 14 year tenure as president of the board of aldermen? Well, uh, not just as president of the board, but also you know as alderman of the sixth ward. You look at some of the things that people 
talk about now and people think are great things like the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, right, that gives mortgage assistance, rental assistance, that uh, uh, helps with utility assistance, after-school programs, and all these things, right? Well, I was one of, the, one of a handful of aldermen to put that together so that we it's actually a law in the city of St. Louis now. So that, is, that has helped thousands and thousands of families throughout the years. It helps to get rid of vacant, abandoned buildings, all sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bring and cure violence to the city of St. Louis. Uh, even though it's just now getting off the ground, we're going to see some great things as it moves forward because it'll help us address the root cause of crime in the city of St. Louis. Uh, helping our school system to get back to full accreditation, right? Uh, I'm one of the few people in the city of St. Louis, other than the folks that are directly connected with the school system, but other elected officials that have had a first-hand knowledge and took a very active role in turning the school system around, uh, bringing, uh, you know, trying to bridge the digital divide for a lot of kids in need uh, with the Sprint One Million project to bring uh, bring digital devices to students so that they can get, do their homework at home. Uh, President uh, Reid, if I if I can cut in here, I mean these are these are three good accomplishments. I asked you for one, and then three is even better. So great. But let's talk about cure violence. Um, as you mentioned, this has had a much slower rollout than the city was hoping. You guys approved the money in October of of 2019. More than a year later, only one of the three sites was up and running, and a couple of the people on the oversight committee, including uh, Jamala Rogers, quit mid-rollout. They said city officials ignored the committee's advice, and they said they were not dedicated to the program's public health approach. What went wrong there? Well, you know, I think there there was a, a lot of a lot of blame to go around there. And as you remember my interviews uh, during that time when it wasn't being rolled out, uh, one of the things I talked about, I said, hey, we put the funding in place last October. Mm-hmm. Now we're a year later, and these programs, these things are just being rolled out, right? Mm-hmm. I think we would have to really truly do an investigation to see, uh, you know, actually what broke down within the departments in the executive branch. Because remember, as the president of the board, I can pass laws and things of that nature, but implementation, all of those things reside in the executive branch. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm running to become mayor of the city of St. Louis is because I understand how to operate that branch and uh, and what the powers are that are vested in it, right, and how we can actually move the city forward and uh, how you do it at, that in a way where you do it in a cooperative and collaborative fashion. Uh, so that we can achieve the goals we need to achieve. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is frustrating. I mean, you were a big backer of this program, and in the time that it hasn't necessarily been fully up and running, crime has just skyrocketed. Um, exactly. Yeah. Would you keep Jimmy Edwards as public safety director in a Lewis Reed mayorship? Well, here's, here's what I'd say. Um, any, anybody that's running for office that truly understands the implications of of making a public statement like that that says, oh, I will fire this person day one or I'll keep this person day one, that is that wouldn't be advisable, uh, you know, because uh, everybody in city government has some employment protection. So essentially uh, to to make a judgment now to say, okay, I would get rid of Jimmy Edwards with, is also saying that I would do that without regard to his performance, without regard to any of his personnel records or anything like that. 
And um, uh, I think that that would be uh, very ill-advised for anybody to say that. <laughs> I can say this, that, you know, you look at some of Jimmy Edwards' uh, work prior to becoming a public safety director where he started a school uh, for kids at risk and worked to get some of the kids that people had absolutely gave up on and said that that kid will never achieve and never go on to do anything great in his life. Mm -hmm. He worked with those kids individually firsthand, right? Uh, And worked them to get them through school and to help to get them on the right track. So uh, he's done those things that people talk about and they admire, right? Uh, And he's done those things. He did those firsthand, right? Uh, And up to and including one day I went to the school and it was a big snow, and there was this guy out shoveling the, the sidewalk. I looked down real close, and it was Judge, it was Judge Edwards. Wow. Right? Right, right, making sure that the kids could actually get into the school. I mean, that's the kind of, that's the, that's, that's the kind of heart, and that's the kind of uh, uh, passion and commitment he has to things. Yeah. I mean, here I'm giving you credit for making phone calls into the evening. He's out there shoveling snow. I mean, that, there's a yeah. reason that his work with that school was so respected, for sure. But, but going back to the crime problem here for a minute, then, um, one of your other things that you worked on was getting body cameras for St. Louis police officers. You pushed that plan through in 2017. KSDK reported that only 100 St. Louis officers had them as of December 30th, and that's of the year 2020. I mean, years have gone by on this thing. What went wrong with that effort? Well, uh, actually, I started pushing the whole thing six years ago. So even longer. Yeah. And so as president of the board, remember, you're not the head of the executive branch. So some of these things that you undertake, they are long term commitments to actually get them through. So it took six years to get the body camera deal through. Um, And we truly only just finally got the contract signed uh, this past year. Right? Mm-hmm. So they just started to roll out this past year. One of the things really pleased about is the fact that we are on the same, we're using the same vendor that St. Louis County is using. So that allows us to integrate our mapping systems across the region. Uh, and ultimately, if we can unify some, uh, some contractual uh, arrangements with, our, with some vendors, like let's say our body camera vendor or whatever, and have you know a common maintenance plan and uh upgrade improvement plan across uh across the region as it relates to body cameras that can be a big savings to the city of st louis and allow us to operate more collaboratively and uh economically across the region also Our guest today is St. Louis Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed. He's one of four candidates in the March 2nd primary race for St. Louis mayor. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.
Welcome back. We're talking today to Lewis Reed. He has been the president of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen for 14 years. He's one of four candidates running for mayor this winter. The primary is coming up on March 2nd. You can vote for as many candidates as you approve of. We encourage you to listen to our interviews with all four of those candidates. Uh, we've already talked to the other three. You can find those wherever you get your St. Louis on the Air podcasts, or you can find them on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. So, President Reed, um, back to our conversation here. You brought a bill last summer to close the city's medium security institution. This is better known as the workhouse. The alderman approved it. The language in the bill indicated it would close by year's end. We're in February, and there's still no plan to close it. What went wrong there? We're also under COVID. <laughs> I mean, we were I mean, last summer, for, for, though, for, as well, in fairness. Uh, no, our, our, our number, in, in, in reality, our numbers uh, were not increase until the way they are now. And also, in reality, uh, nobody had done an evaluation to see what the surrounding prison populations were and if we actually had the ability to house some of our detainees in some of the surrounding uh, facilities. So here's here's the the factual stuff, right? So when we passed the bill, everybody's on board. Uh, because we were calling for a responsible plan to close the workhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, director of corrections began to work on it in, in earnest and worked you know, throughout the summer to put, to put together a plan to try to enter into contracts with some of the surrounding municipalities to house our inmates. At the same time, the feds said, okay, uh, because of COVID, you need to have you need to have room to uh, isolate detainees who have come in contact with people with COVID virus, but also those who have already contracted the COVID virus. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that changed uh, the uh, what uh, you know the the total number of detainees that not just the surrounding municipalities across around Missouri, but all across the country. Suddenly right? people just didn't have room to take on other people's detainees. Exactly, exactly right. That, that's reality. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew that in the middle of January. And nobody knew that uh, all these different strains of COVID that we now see, we didn't know that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, unless somebody had a crystal ball, uh, and I don't know anybody that has a crystal ball that's been even remotely accurate, uh, but... You know, the reality is, is that if you're going to be a, respons- a responsible adult and if you're going to be a responsible legislator and a responsible leader, you have to make decisions based on fact, not just emotion. Right. I understand that that, uh, you know, the people who are pushing to close the workhouse uh, is this is a popular subject with them. This is a popular subject for people to talk about. And then they then it's also popular to say that the detainees would be better served in an overcrowded situation in the justice center, and that is you know that's just not reality. So, well, well, look, I mean, so, President Reed, you're making a you're making a very good argument here. Why, in this case, send a non-binding resolution on to the voters as the Board of Aldermen now wants to do? I mean, let's be honest: the average voter is not an expert in all these things that you're just outlining here. Well, uh, I think you said it when you when you said when you spoke of it. You said non-binding. So, so, so only thing only thing the resolution does is that it says 
what are your thoughts about this subject? Right? Uh, it would be different if it was a if it was a binding piece. It was an ordinance that bound us to the decision of the voters. This one does not. So it does no harm to, to essentially take a broad-based poll of the voters to say where you stand, where do you stand on this issue. Doesn't that seem and like for, a lot of work to, to put it to a, a vote of the people just to kind of take our polls? I mean, isn't that in part why we've elected people like you so that you can make these decisions and we don't have to care about them? Well, uh, you know, Sarah, I could say the same thing on a lot of subjects where yourself and, and others have said, we should have this go to the voters, right? And again, this is a non-binding uh, resolution. Uh, it there, This isn't a special election. An election is already going to be held on that date. So this is just another line item on the ballot. And there shouldn't be any fear of anybody to have it on the ballot. So I don't see where it causes a problem. Even let's assume, even if the voters came back and said, we do not want the workhouse closed, mm-hmm. right? We are already in the process of closing the workhouse. COVID-19, the re, the, let me just say, the reality of COVID-19, and anyone who wants to live in a fairy tale land to say, it's okay, we're going to help people out by putting them in an overcrowded situation, first thing they should do is listen to the inmates that were at the Justice Center that took over an entire unit and said, until you move us out of this overcrowded situation and that's that's putting my life in danger for COVID-19, we are not going to give up. We're going to continue to take uh, keep control over this unit. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the city said, we will agree to move you out of this overcrowded situation and disperse and put uh, a number of you at the quote-unquote workhouse, they said thank you, and they were happy to go, right? So if so, truly, if the people who are foreclosed the workhouse, if they are actually working in the best interest of the people who are locked up, they should honor that. Because guess what? You and I, Sarah, we have, we have, we have free will. We have choices. We can decide whether we sit in a restaurant next to somebody or not. We can decide if we, you know, share our homes or let people in our homes or not. We can decide who sleeps in the room with us or not. Now, imagine, if you will, you have no control over that. And they're piling two and three other people in that same cell with you. Yeah, that's saying, a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. So, so people who are saying that they're doing the people a favor, by closing it right now, I'm telling you, you're not. And I don't care how unpopular it is to say that. That is the fact. I guess that's why I don't get then why you even want to take send this to the public for their vote. I mean, it sounds like you've done your homework and you've decided right now it makes sense for this to be open. No, hold on for a second. I think you you missed a whole thing I said, Sarah. I said that we are in the process of closing the workhouse. There's a little thing called COVID-19 that's happening, not just in the city, but every place in the globe. Right. There isn't one place in the globe, there's not one job, one profession, uh, one thing in, on this planet that's not being affected by COVID-19. So why is it so hard to believe that closing the workhouse isn't, isn't being affected by COVID-19? Yeah, and I, I guess I, mean, I, and I, I don't mean to oversimplify this. I, I totally understand that you're saying that during this pandemic, that's when it makes sense to continue to keep this open and that you want to phase this out after this in a responsible way. I guess that's where I'm Absolutely. stuck on. Why do the voters get to weigh in? Because, because look, 
here's, I guess, the question for you. What harm does it do to understand what the voters think in a non-binding fashion? I mean, that's that's fair. That's I mean, that's your answer. It, so it, it let, makes, let me no, ask you. No, but, 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 but that's the question to you also. <laughs> it, 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 why? I mean, really, truly, why would you or anyone have a problem with the voters having a, a say-so in a non-binding fashion. Voters say, well, this is my preference. Why would you be, why would you be afraid of that? I, well, I just don't get that. I, I guess I, I'm not afraid of it, but I will say when I talk to friends who don't cover politics for a living, I'm, I'm often shocked by how little they know about what's going on at City Hall. And so it, it seems like delegating this vote to them, um, you know, personally, I don't not, know that it's what I do, but this isn't about me. This is about you. And, and I want to get back not, to you. Hold on, hold on, but it's not, it's not delegating anything to them because it's not given them control over the decision is saying we would like to understand where you stand on this issue mm-hmm. right and this it, and why not why not and as you've said it is non-binding i want to stress you're you're right you you are just sort of taking taking their pulse on this i want to ask another question about something that you want to send to voters you introduced a bill this summer to resurrect airport privatization after mayor lida cruson killed it and you wanted to send the idea of an airport lease to voters we talked yeah. before about what mayor cruson did right do you think something she did wrong was to stop that process and and put a halt to exploring well, uh, privatization now, okay, so so you know you just left a massive piece of information off the table with that, Sarah. Okay, so so my question to you is, what else was going on at the time I introduced the bill at the Board of Aldermen? There was a, there was another private thing that was going on by an independent operation that was all that was going to put something on the ballot. This was the, the Carpenters Union wanted to resurrect this. They wanted to put it back on the ballot. You introduced yeah, at the I, same I time a, a similar yeah, thing. No, 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 I didn't. No, I didn't. I introduced several months later. I introduced once I introduced the bill once they were it was clear that they were going to get their signatures. Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? Because they had things in their bill that would take that would allow that would use the funding Largely to pay down, uh, you know, the uh, the earnings tax. Uh, there were limits on how long we had to spend the money and things of that nature. So, so, and they had collected their signatures. And here's the thing: I know people say that they we were able to stop it. We nothing was stopped because they had the signatures collected. They were certified by the election board to put the thing on the ballot. You know why they didn't get a, why they didn't put it on the ballot? We had another measure moving through the board of Alden that would have competed against that one, and the and and the funding pools that we had in our measure would have eliminated the, the Del Mar divide, the thing that has created historic, uh, 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 you know, uh, two historically different cities in the city of St. Louis. So instead of paying down the earnings tax, our measure would have directly targeted North St. Louis and eliminated that Del Mar divide, addressed the issues of public safety, some of the things that probably led to this uh, mother and her two daughters being shot and killed this morning, oh, a seven-year-old story. girl uh, killed just a, just a few days ago. And anyone that would, that uh, that uh, just dismisses those opportunities out of hand is just, I just don't know, know how to, how to, process that, right? So so as because, mayor, would you put privatization back on the table? Well, hold on for a second. Let me, let me finish that. So 
we had a measure moving through the board to counter their proposal because short of that, only thing the voters would have had an opportunity to vote on was the measure that would not have hit the targets the way we wanted to hit, hit the targets, which is why we introduced the measure. But their measure was moving way before we put ours before the board. Once we knew that they were going to have a measure put before, then that's when we came up with an alternative, right? Uh, so that was the most strategic and best thing to do. They ended up not moving forward with their measure, uh, even though they were approved by the by uh, by the uh, election board to do it, mm-hmm. uh, because there would have been a, another competing measure on the ballot, right? Uh, so, what I, my position on privatization is this: when we looked at all of the social economic issues that are plaguing the city of St. Louis, uh, and the fact that our airport sits in St. Louis County, not St. Louis City, mm-hmm. so so the tax revenue. Which, which cities hope to get from airports, all goes to St. Louis County. Not some of it, but all of the tax revenue goes to St. Louis County. We get $6.5 million a year back from the airport, and we have $650 million in debt. We have a mounting uh, uh, you know, list of capital improvement needs on the airport. Our big win was a year or two ago where we got Wow Airline. They stayed for six months and they left. It's tough for us to track new airlines because we have a uh, uh, we have a, a you know very high landing fee compared to other metropolitan areas across the country. That's our reality, uh, where we have record number of kids being murdered in our city. That's our reality. So, so when it came and. Here's another really important piece of information. Airports across the countries are built with P3s, public-private partnerships, right? So the public, someone with public dollars come in, they invest in the airport, the airport then partners with them. They run that piece of the airport until they get their money out. Kansas City's airport's being built that way. LaGuardia Airport was redeveloped that way. And, and President Reed, just to say, we just do have a couple minutes left. So if you could just address the heart I'll of the question there. Well, what, what, hold a second. Let me wrap it up. So, so we can't do that in the city. So my position on the airport was we should at least see proposals, and then we know we can see take it out to the voters and the voters can tell us what they would like to do. But we don't have, we never had a chance to even take anything out to the voters. And so as mayor, would you jumpstart that and, and get those proposals back in? No, I think that, look, I think that our biggest, our big thing, the biggest thing we need to focus on is how we gain additional revenue from uh, from the airport, right? Mm-hmm. The other big thing that would have came from those proposals, even if we didn't move with any of it, uh, each one of those proposals would cost the developers roughly $5 million a piece to put together. So we would have had a drawer full of proposals, all with some of the greatest brains in the nation and around the globe have looked at the land mass and everything and said, the best use of this thing is this, and this is how you would redevelop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would have had all of that work for free, um, uh, but we don't have any of that now, right? Mm-hmm. Because we never got to the point where we saw proposals. Um, uh, but uh, we need to look at ways where St. Louis County could help through pilots, payment in lieu of taxes, since since they're receiving all the tax receipts, but we've also made them part of 
uh, the airport. They have seats on the airport, mm-hmm. on the airport commission. Well, St. Louis County, help, help us out. Give us some of those tax dollars back, right? Uh, so that would that would be way. more of your focus um, as to the Absolutely. airport. Okay. Absolutely. Look, President Reed, I'm going to ask you three questions here. I've asked these to everybody who sat in the seat, and we have just a, just a minute or so left. So I'm going to ask you to keep your answers real short. What to you is the best thing about St. Louis? Uh, it's it's people and it's uh, infrastructure. It, it, it is a, just the culture in St. Louis is a great culture, uh, and um, uh, the the people in St. Louis are, are great i mean they're great people and and our biggest asset is where we are right now on the river that's the thing that made us the largest city in america at one time and we need to capitalize on that through more trade opportunities and what do you see as the worst thing about st louis uh, the division mm-hmm. the division and uh, you know the delmar divide is something if you were a family that owned a house north of Delmar back in the day, and that's your biggest investment, as it is any family. And redlining uh, caused lack of development in your neighborhood, and then the city doubled down with the Team 4 plan and some of the things that the Shamewell administration did to just absolutely decimate uh, uh, development north of Delmar. Then that family now has lost generational generational wealth, right? Because they would have been able to take that money from that house and parlay it to future generations. All of that was wiped out. When you had a house worth one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand, that now is worth four and five, ten thousand dollars. That hurt those families, and it has hurt them generationally. And right? so that's the worst thing about St. Louis. Last of those three questions here: If you could sign an executive order on day one to make one simple policy change for St. Louis, what would it be? I. Man, there's so many. That's a hard one. <laughs> that, that's a hard one. They're, they're just so many. Look, I don't think they're, 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 it, it would center around public safety and and the things that, that sit at the core of public safety, right? Uh, you know, addressing, you know, economic empowerment for uh, families and things of that nature. So it would be something that would, would help to shift things uh, that way. Uh, by the way, if you take a look at the uh, equitable economic strategic plan framework that, that uh, I passed an ordinance two years ago to require the city to develop, it's a 400-page document. It lays out a plan to totally transform our city. Right. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a policy that goes far beyond that one executive order, but it does sound like worth people digging into. And unfortunately, we're out of time here today. But President Lewis Reed, I want to thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your thoughts on all these subjects. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. And, and you can find out more about Lewis Reed at Reed for Lewis. Uh, readforstlouis.com. And this is one part in a four-part series of interviews with mayoral contenders. That primary is March 2nd. You can find all four interviews by accessing St. Louis on the Air wherever you get your podcast. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.